Francis's DDF and the new FBI. In this episode of Church and State, Brian McCall and Christopher Ferrara discuss how both the College of Cardinals and the Federal Bureau of Investigation are undermining the faith and the natural law. With Francis's appointment of Archbishop Tucho Fernandez as the new prefect for the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith, the DDF is more like the Dicastery for the Destruction of the Faith. And the United States' FBI is becoming more and more like a secret police meant to silence opposition and protect all the evil committed by their superiors. Today, those initials more aptly stand for the federal Biden instrumentality. Welcome back to Church and State with Chris Ferrar and Brian McCall. Chris is uh, joining us from uh, beautiful Italy, uh, where he's been for a little while, uh, educating Catholics over there uh, with his brilliance. Oh, well, thank you for that. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, you look like you're working hard. Oh, yeah, it's, you look it's, like it's a slog. Doing. It's a slog. It's awesome. <laughs> well, someone's yes. got to do it. <laughs> Well, well, while you've been over there enjoying yourself in Italy, uh, Papa Bergoglio has been busy down in Rome. Uh, he's been appointing a lot of people. Uh, he appointed uh, just yesterday 21 new cardinals, which, by the way, puts uh, 138 cardinals into a college that by law is limited to 120. Uh, this guy really has no respect for law, does he? No, he gets the result that he wants because that's what he is. He's a dictator. Exactly. I mean, again, the irony with that one is he is the Pope. So, I mean, he could just change the law and, you know, change what Paul VI wrote and say there's another number. But he just doesn't even want to go to that trouble. He just wants to do what he wants. Well, you, know, you can't have uh, all these rules terms- and regulations except the ones that he wants us to follow. <laughs> exactly. Well, speaking of getting what he wants, we know one of his big pushes is to essentially throw out the entire natural and divine law, particularly related to marriage, life, and the family. And he may have found a new doctrinal chief, in quotes, uh, to his liking. He has just uh, appointed now Cardinal-elect Fernandez uh, to be the head of what used to be the Holy Office, used to be the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, now the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the faith. And uh, this guy has got a really checkered uh, history. First of all, he published a book back in 2017 called uh, Heal Me With Your Mouth, The Art of Kissing. Kind of a typical book you'd expect a Catholic bishop uh, to write. Uh, and I've always noticed, I don't even see if you can see this cover here. I was kind of interesting. You can't really tell if this is a man or a woman. You no, know, let me look more closely. Right. Oh, my uh, goodness. It's ambiguous to me. I don't know. Uh, but regardless, even if it's only a man and a woman, what is a bishop writing a book about the art of kissing? Well, I'll, I'll tell you why. Because he's a disgusting little creep. That's why. Why mince, why mince words? I mean, this is, this is absurd. This man is now the head of the CDF, which is now the dicastery, as you say. And now stands alongside all the other dicasteries. So it's demoted to a basically another department in the bureaucracy that doesn't have any august function any longer. Worse than that, in the letter of appointment, Bergoglio says to him, I expect something quite different from you than 
the mere enforcement of doctrine. He wants them to continue undermining doctrine along the lines of this whole notion he's introduced of the natural law being just a benchmark that you can try to achieve depending upon your concrete circumstances. So to root the ability to follow the moral law when it comes to negative precepts of the natural law that bind everyone always and everywhere, to limit that to something that uh, one uh, strives to achieve in concrete circumstances is to introduce situation ethics, which is the end of morality. Mm. Well, absolutely right. Again, this book, he's now tried to quote, defend it by saying, oh, oh, this was not theology. I was writing this together with a bunch of teenagers who were helping me. Uh, okay, query why you're doing that. But if we go beyond that to an article he published in Revisita Theologia, uh, a theological journal in which he authored himself, no teenagers involved, he had this to say, in some questions of sexual morality, it is also imperative to discern in the direct light of the central hermeneutic criterion to recognize how an incapacity for sexual abstinence often implies an encroachment on the freedom of the spouse. Uh, making one's own pleasure take precedence over the happiness of the other. But there is also the case of sexual abstinence that contradicts the Christian hierarchy of values crowned by charity. We cannot close our eyes, for example, to the difficulty that arises for a woman when she perceives that family stability is put at risk by subjecting the non-practicing husband to periods of countenance. In such a case, an inflexible refusal to use condoms at all would make compliance with an external norm take precedence over the grave obligation to care for loving communion and conjugal stability. Which Classic <laughs> modernist subversion, they create a hypothetical so-called hard case. You have a non-practicing spouse, and the wife says, well, we have to practice periods of continence, which, of course, is quite impossible for the non-practicing spouse. And this is, the again, the in introduction of the idea that in concrete circumstances, which are conjured up, by these modernist theologians, it's so difficult to follow the natural law, and we can't be inflexible about this. And this is what he means by discernment. Discernment is the novelty that Francis has introduced. We must discern in any given situation whether someone is capable of complying with negative precepts of the natural law that admit of absolutely no exceptions. But here he is creating an exception for a difficult so-called situation and if a difficult situation excuses you from compliance with the natural law, then there is no natural law. Uh, exactly. I mean, it's almost like he's saying, well, you know, if you're not married and you're not engaging in any uh, marital acts, you shouldn't use contraception because it's not a problem. But if, if you actually have a problem where it's difficult, uh, then then go ahead. I mean, he's sort of removing the rule from a circumstance where it actually is applicable and helpful. He's a, he's a subversive <laughs> creep. Yes. I'm not going to mince words. This guy is a, a creepy figure. He's a creepy little sicko who writes about the art of kissing. And this pope has made him head of the CDF. And I'm sorry that I called him a sicko, but who but a personality that is disordered would be writing a book like this for public consumption in the role of a successor to the apostles. It just blows the mind that this guy is now going to be head of what used to be the congregation for the doctrine of the faith. 
Well, and again, to, to make it fair, you're not being unfair when you call him a sicko. Here's some quotes from the guy. I know him. You go ahead, read them. Yeah. No. Depending on how it is done, the kiss is usually also called a peck, a hickey, a penetrating kiss. Come down, my dear, before you awaken suddenly. Someone desperate with a terrible hickey. How was God so cruel as to give you that mouth? There is no one who resists me, bitch. I, this is what this guy wrote. This is in his book. No, he is. Then uh, you know what? Sicko is too kind. The man yeah. is. The man is obviously writing from the perspective of a degenerate. This is degenerate <laughs> morality, which is being feasted upon the well, Church Universal in the form of this nonsensical discernment. And again, this is the person who is ahead of. The Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith, which also has the responsibility for investigating breaches of the Sixth and Ninth Commandment by priests and abuse, sexual abuse. I mean, that's that's his job. So you put a sicko in charge of that, and then notice Francis in his letters, like, oh, by the way, don't do very much with that. Don't pay any attention to that. I don't really want you wasting your time, you know, supervising the part of your department that's supposed to be investigating. No, but that, that he what, wrote this book. What, that he has revealed himself yeah. to be a sicko, a degenerate theologian, is precisely why Francis appointed him to be the head of this dicastery. Yeah. He makes it clear to him that I don't want you to be defending doctrine. I want something new from you. And we know what that is. It's the erosion of sexual morality, which has been programmatic of this pontificate from the beginning. From the first moment he praised Cardinal Casper, we knew that his mission was to undermine the natural law particularly as it pertains to the Sixth Commandment, where, by the way, we find that most sins are committed because of the weakness of the flesh. And these are precisely the sins he's trying to legitimate, the ones that send more souls into eternal damnation than any other, as Our Lady of Fatima warned. Exactly. That's just not our speculation. That's the words of the Mother of God telling the, the seers of Fatima that, that that's the case. And that was in 1917. Not, not 2017 when, when it's gotten certainly much more, more perverse. But I mean, it, it, it really doesn't, I mean, it, it, it clearly indicates where this next synod is going. I mean, I think their sights seem pretty set with, with this appointment of the person who's supposed to watch out for the doctrinal purity of documents issued by the Vatican, uh, as well as, uh, like I said, he's been busy this week, uh, appointments to the synod Special, you know, uh, picks of Pope Francis included Father James Martin, S.J., on the Synod, not even a bishop, voting member of the, the Synod. He's a, he's a homosexualist <laughs> propagandist running all over the place telling all the gay priests to come out as gay. But then when you ask him about his own orientation, which is obviously suspect, he refuses to tell you, which is the hypocrisy typical of, of all liberals, especially ecclesiastical liberals. They want everyone else, they want everyone else to do what they refuse to do. Exactly, exactly. So, I mean, this, this pontificate is just, just winding, winding further and further towards, you know, utter chaos because, you know, as Pope Pius X said about modernism, the problem with modernism is doesn't just sort of, it's not just like, well, I'm attacking this doctrine on contraception or I'm attacking this doctrine on here. It, it goes to the very fundamental basis of all doctrine. And again, here with, with this Fernandez and with Francis, if you can destroy the natural law, you're not just destroying teaching on sexual morality, 
but everything goes. There's there's really nothing. There's no objective standard for any morality in any fear. And if the church won't even defend basic morality, then the church has essentially dissolved itself into a total merger with the spirit of the age. I mean, it's not even a question of Catholic doctrine as such any longer. Now we can't even get from the upper hierarchy a defense of basic morality. What do we need the Catholic Church for at this point? It's just an NGO. The very thing, by the way, Francis said he didn't want the church to become. Oh, we mustn't let the church become an NGO. And then he proceeds to do precisely that, turn the church into an NGO. And then a very effective NGO. No one really listens to what this Pope has to say in his airborne magisterium anyway. <laughs> no, it's true. Again, the, the the news media will applaud politely when he says something to their liking, but but he's utter and you know real irrelevance to them. They don't really, don't no, think really about, care if he says something. Think about the only thing that he so, that he strictly condemned, uh, which is the refusal to be vaccinated with a useless vaccine. There, he declares a moral obligation. It's an act of love. One must be vaccinated. Says the Pope, who knows nothing, absolutely nothing about the issue. And just mindlessly repeats the mantra of government bureaucrats and attempts to impose upon us the only moral obligation, one of the few moral obligations, other than respect for the environment, that he deems worthy of imposing on the church universal. He demands vaccination, he demands re recycling, and he demands a reduction in air conditioning. But he doesn't demand, he doesn't demand that you refrain from adultery in, because in concrete circumstances, just might not be able to, but you can certainly turn down your air conditioning. Right. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Doesn't matter how concrete your circumstances are, get yeah. the vaccine. But <laughs> exactly. Well, speaking of sort of an organization that is that is betraying its entire purpose of existence, uh, this week moving to the, the back uh, to the U.S. to the state, uh, the director or director in name only of the Federal Bureau of uh, investigation, uh, Christopher Ray was called before the House Oversight Committee, uh, and really sort of asked some questions to which he basically had no answers. And, and it really, the whole hearing exposed the hypocrisy of what, what these things have come. The FBI is no longer a, I say, a government agency. It is the, uh, muscle arm of the Communist Democrat Party. I mean, it's become what the fascists were in, in Europe who had their own sort of extra paramilitary, you know, non-governmental uh, group that went around enforcing party orthodoxy. That's sort of what, what it's become. Um, and I'm going to play a little clip. This is Representative Jim Jordan asking him about the infamous uh, Richmond memo, which probably you were in their sites. You, you live in Richmond. They're probably infiltrating your parish, uh, that, that, uh, came out about six months ago, over six months ago, got leaked by a whistleblower. They were targeting and infiltrating traditional Catholic parishes. So let's take a quick listen to his, uh, stunning answers. And director, what's the difference between a traditional Catholic and a radical traditional Catholic? <laughs> uh, I'm not a, an expert on the, the Catholic, uh, orders. Well, your FBI wrote a memo talking about radical traditional Catholics. I'm just wondering if you could define it for us. Well, what I can tell you is you're referring to the Richmond product, which was a single product by a single field office, which as soon as I found out about it, I was aghast and ordered it withdrawn and removed from FBI systems. You were aghast. Then why won't you let us talk to the people who put it together? We are working on finishing an internal review into what happened We have there. to wait. The, we, the Congress, and the American people have to wait until you do an internal review. It's not a criminal investigation going on here. An internal review before we can talk to the people who wrote this? 
we, when we finish our internal review, which will be very soon, we will come, come back idea before how the committee in America? and provide a briefing <laughs> on what we found. Well, we appreciate and the we briefing, can, but we want to talk to the people who wrote it. Any idea how can, many Catholics there are in America, Director? Uh, no, sir. There's a lot, over 60 million. What percentage of those are radical traditional Catholics, according to the Richmond Field Office of the FBI? Again, that product is not something that I will defend or excuse. It's something that I thought was appalling read, and removed it. Let's read. And again, he basically goes on. Notice he gives no answer no. whatsoever. When he sort of says, well, what's going on? So remember, they've had six months since it was leaked. The memo was around before that. Six months it was leaked to the public when they got caught. But they're still investing. Well, this is modus operandi. See, if it's criminal activity <laughs> by someone on the left that's being protected by the FBI, he'll say there's a pending investigation. What does the investigation consist of? It consists of sitting on the football till the statute of limitations runs out. That's their investigation. There is no investigation. And then when it comes to something like this, well, we can't talk about that either, even though it's not criminal, because we have an internal review. And the internal review will also be used to run out the clock. So this is a guy who's basically there to provide cover for illicit operations. He's an oily snake is what he is. And, uh, you know, if we get a Republican president, the first order of business, as soon as he takes his hand off the Bible on January 20th, is to fire that guy. Well, exactly. And you're exactly right. Notice he, he goes on. He never even commits. So Jordan keeps saying, so when can we talk to the people that wrote this? He never says they can. He just says, oh, we'll brief you on the results of our investigation that you think would be very extensive briefing after six months, but will probably never happen. And we'll say – notice he tries to imply this is like a rogue, one-off person. But there were five different people that approved this memo, including an internal counsel for the FBI that approved it as legally legally fine, as well as the reports that I've had from parishes in the Richmond area that has, saw unmarked cars driving around the parking lot writing down license plates after this memo was made. Yeah, and it was also, it was also so circulated the, to many FBI field offices in different parts of the country. Yes, it wasn't just exactly. confined to the Richmond office. It might have emanated from there, but it was sent to other FBI Offices. And let's face it, that's what this is all about. It's all about this whole trend of attempting to create new categories of forbidden speech, forbidden expression, forbidden belief on the ground that they might inspire domestic terrorism. I'm involved in litigation against federal actors right now on this whole new theory of stochastic terrorism. People may express beliefs. They may say things that could inspire somebody to commit violence. That's not a category of unprotected speech we've ever heard of before. It's not incitement. It's not a true threat of force. It's none of, it's none of the categories the Supreme Court has recognized as unprotected. So what they're trying to do is establish in this country basically a hate crime regime that resembles that in Canada and the EU without passing any legislation that would punish hate crimes. It's just a de facto hate crime, and that's what he's up to. That's what this Richmond memo is all about. Well, and again, as you point out, while they're driving around parking lots of Catholic churches, writing down the license plate numbers, trying to get, uh, you know, infiltrate congregations, the Biden crime family is uh, not being investigated at all. Again, I don't know what more evidence can be leaked. Now there's tapes of the guy's son say, shaking down foreign leaders saying, I'm sitting next to my father, the vice president. You better send us millions of dollars right now. But the FBI is wholly uninterested. No, well, you know, when Gates, Gates confronted Matt... Ray on this particular thing yes. where he, he's saying the, uh, the Biden, uh, Hunter Biden is saying, I'm on the, I'm sitting here next to my father 
And if you don't give me what I want, which is basically five million bucks, not only I, who have an endless capacity to hold a grudge, but my father and everybody he knows will make you live to regret the day you didn't send us the bucks. That's the essence of what he said. So he says, so he says to Ray, what are you doing about this? Oh, I can't comment on pending investigation. Is there an investigation of this going on? I can't comment on whether there's an investigation. In other words, he's not going to do anything. There is no investigation. They're just going to rope a dope Congress until the five-year statute yeah. of limitations runs out, if it hasn't run out already. They're going to hide the evidence. They're going to pretend there is nothing to investigate while telling Congress that there's an investigation. Meanwhile, when there's a statute of limitations applicable to Donald Trump, that just we can just forget about that. We don't really need to worry about statute of limitations, little things right, like right. that. <laughs> so so what we, we, we I, basically have – obviously, there's a two-tiered system of justice in this country. I mean, if the, if the members of the Trump family had been engaging in a grifting operation like this, they would all be in orange jumpsuits by now. Well, and again, this coincides with this story, this bizarre story, where last week they discover cocaine in the residence of the White House. And then the Secret Service announces yesterday, oh, we've closed the investigation. We just, we have no suspects. We have nobody to investigate. Yeah. So you have the son of the president, who is a known cocaine addict in the White House. And then after he leaves the White House, you find a bag of cocaine. But, you know, I just it's beyond me who might have brought it in. Impossible. As well as I don't know, if you know, uh, commentator Dan Bongino, who used to be a Secret Service agent, has come out and said that the only people who can enter the residence yeah. of the White House without being searched or screened are the president of or his course. immediate family. That, doesn't that kind of narrow down who Everybody this might be? Everybody knows it's, uh, something, something <laughs> that, he, in all probability, Hunter Biden left there. So what we have is a pattern. We have an investigation into who put the cocaine there, coming up with nothing. We just can't figure out who it is, and there's really no camera there. Then we have the investigation into the leaking of the draft of the Dobbs opinion. Oh, we looked as hard as we could. We just couldn't find anybody. And then we have the investigation into the death of Epstein in his jail cell. Hmm, the cameras weren't working. I guess we'll never know what really happened. Well, we'll just say he committed suicide and so on and so forth. Oh, I'm the pipe bomber. We just can't figure out who that figure was telling the police about the pipe bomb and then walking away. The person who tells the police about the pipe bomb is suspect number one. They asked they ask Ray about that. Oh, I don't know. I, I really can't tell you about that. I we Review thousands and thousands of hours of videotape. That what I can tell you that much. Yeah, but what about that particular figure? Have you made any effort to find out who it is? Have you discovered after what is it, nine hundred days, who planted the non-operative pipe bombs in front of both the DNC headquarters and the RNC headquarters in an obvious attempt to distract the Capitol Police force? Coincidentally, at the very moment the crowds were pouring into the Capitol building. Oh no, he doesn't know. That, you just can't figure it out. So any, I think Gates pointed it out or one of the other congressmen pointed it out. Whenever an investigation has a probable outcome that would hurt the Democrats, there is no outcome. Right. And again, it all goes all the way back to 2016, Comey's investigation into the Hillary Clinton emails that was announced and then, oops, whoop, there's yep. nothing there. Sorry. Uh, again, this is a pattern goes way back. And again, to his credit, disagree with him on, a, on several issues, but RFK Jr., who's uh, really a big threat to Biden right now and to the establishment, you know, is basically saying this has been going on for decades. I mean, he is now publicly saying his uncle 
and his father, John F. Kennedy and Robert F. Kennedy, were assassinated by organs of the U.S. government. And, you know, one of the things he's pledged, if he were ever elected, was to release the remaining 5,000 documents that, you know, now that everybody's dead who was involved, should be released. And But Biden and Midnight, a few weeks ago, reclassified so they wouldn't be made known. So, again, his point is, you know, maybe we're just becoming aware of it, 2016, 2022, 2023, but this has been going on for decades. Oh, by the way, yeah, there was a, a, an expiration pending. The documents were supposed to be made public 60 years or so after the event. And yes. on, the thresh, on the threshold yes. of that revelation, Biden said, well, we'll just reclassify them for another 60 years. They don't want yeah. At midnight, one night. By the way, you know, <laughs> apropos of this bombing uh, of the FBI and nefarious dealings, I, there was there was a declassified document of FBI surveillance of the Second Vatican Council as yes. a harbinger of wonderful things to come in the church, very positive changes, meaning the decommissioning of the church. So the FBI was on top of that, too. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, my own conclusion, watching this guy, Ray, makes J. Edgar Hoover look like a choir boy. No, I mean, J. Edgar Hoover was, uh, was nothing compared <laughs> to this guy. He is the ultimate slick salesman. Well, what the FBI yes. has engaged in, which Very is true. basically inquisitions against law-abiding American citizens at this point. And, you know, we know, there was also an inquiry about something like 200,000 unauthorized inquiries uh, into private records by the FBI without any authorization. And Ray professed not even to know the number, let alone the outcome of any so-called internal review. They're running amok. They're running amok, and he's covering for them. Well, and there you have it. Again, same story in church and state. The, uh, the DDF, the Dicastery for the Destruction of the Faith, undermining the full purpose of the original organization and the Federal Bureau of Investigation becoming the federal Biden instrumentality, <laughs> essentially the, the Biden Protection Agency. Uh, it, it's the same thing playing out in church and state, undermining institutions uh, to essentially be perverted to support the op- opposite of what they were intended to. Meanwhile, World War Three is in the offing, so. Yeah, I mean, I mean, what's a few cluster bombs? Yeah, and he just called them 3,000 reservists in what appears to be the, the first yeah. trial balloon about sending our, 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 our soldiers overseas to perform some function in aiding Ukraine and destroying itself. And then we'll just abandon Ukraine the way we abandoned Afghanistan. We turn it into a heaping ruin. And, and Iraq and Syria and the list goes on and on. More good news. It's very true. Good news. Well, look, now that we've, we've seen uh, the state of the world, I think you need to go out to the pool and relax a little bit there in Italy. Well, I'll tell you what. I, I'll just tough it out here in paradise for another week or so. Uh, some legal matters are pressing me. But, you know, there's always good news at the end of the story because in the end, the Lord of history wins. You have to keep reminding our, our viewers that, that this is the, the ultimate result, that uh, God will laugh the nations to scorn and bring about his will at the end of history, which may be fast approaching for all we know. For all we know. Well, we'll hopefully get together in a few weeks when you're back from paradise. So enjoy the rest of your time. God bless. Church and State with Brian McCall and Christopher Ferrara is brought to you by the Fatima Center. Copyright 2023. All rights reserved. The message of Fatima is the solution for our time. Only she can help us. It is therefore urgent that we live according to Our Lady's message 
and share it with everyone we know. For more resources and to support this vital apostolate with your donation, visit our website, Fatima.org, or call us at 1-800-263-8160. Our Lady of the Rosary, pray for us. Long live Christ the King.